Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. This is what Jesus goes on and says, and this is what we're going to look at today. If you had really known me, you would know who the Father is. So in other words, if you know Jesus, you know the Father. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Why? Because they're one. We hope you find this message encouraging. As we get into the Word this morning, uh, John chapter 1. I love, I love the book of John. If they ever come to take the Bibles, and they're going to do away with them, that's why, you, first of all, you ought to have it in your heart. But if, if they'll just say, hey, we're going to take it all but one, I'm going to keep the book of John. I love the book of John. In John chapter 1, it says that uh, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then a little further down in the chapter, and it says, uh, And the Word became flesh. And we beheld him in his glory as the glory the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I think about that verse often. That's John chapter 1, verse 14, if you want to look it up. It says, he, we beheld him in his glory, and he was full of grace and truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. One translation, one of the newer English translations says, and the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. But the thing that I always think about with John chapter 14 there, chapter 1, verse 14, is he's full of grace and truth. And realize that when the Lord deals with us, he deals with us with grace and truth. And that's, uh, you've heard me talk about it some time ago. I've, I've spent, spent some time on that. But it's the stereo voice of God. God speaks in stereo. Uh, back in the big, back in the hi-fi era, some of you remember that, you know, you, you boy, you, you'd cut it over to one side and then the other and you'd do the left and the right and you could get different sound out of it, okay? How many of you remember that? And I mean, it was like they would build music to where it would sound like it was going around the room, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I think about that. It's that stereo voice of God because if you turn it all the way one way, you weren't getting the, the big picture. You weren't getting the full sound. And the same way with God. Sometimes they're in, our, in the branches of our family tree, you've got some that are all about truth. Man, you got to toe that line. You got to do this. You got to, you got to, mm, boy, it's a narrow, narrow path. Then there's some that turn it all the way over the other way. It's all about grace. Do anything you want to. God loves you. But realize if you keep that tuned right into the middle, that stereo voice of God, God deals with us in truth and grace. He's all the time talking to us, and he will tell us when we mess up. You, you've heard me talk about it before. We all know what that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like, and you can ignore it. But he's telling us truth. But the fact that he doesn't deal with us harshly all the time is that he's dealing with us in grace. And sometimes we, we really, really, really want to lean hard toward that grace. It's in Ecclesiastes. It says, because a sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, 
it becomes set in the heart of man to do evil. In other words, because we do something wrong one time, that there's not a big lightning bolt from him, that just burns them up and turns them into ashes. We say, oh, I got by with that one. And it becomes set in our heart to sin. But God is always speaking to us, and he's always speaking truth, but he deals with us in grace. And I'm so, so thankful for that, for that stereo voice of God. Because here's the thing. God works, works in us and around us and through us in a progression. You've heard me say this many, many times. God leaves the, uh, loves us enough to reach us where we are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you're at. You could be laying in a gutter somewhere with a hangover that wouldn't quit, having done all kinds of terrible things on Saturday night. And this Sunday morning, God can reach you where you're at. Maybe it wasn't all those terrible things. Maybe it's just a few little things. God can reach you where you're at. But it's a progression of things. He loves us enough to reach us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And if we'll listen to that stereo voice of God that's dealing with us in grace and truth then it's a progression of things. God doesn't expect us to stay in that gutter. He doesn't expect us to stay in that position that we were whenever he found us. He loves us enough to reach us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And Jesus knows every one of your flaws and my flaws. He knows about every one of your failures. He knows about every flop that you've ever had. And you know what? He's okay with that. He knows about all of our habits. He knows all of our hurts. He knows all of our hang-ups. How many of you have some hang-ups? <laughs> oh yeah. We got lots of hang-ups. See, here's the thing. Isn't it good to know that Jesus already knows about that? Every one of our flaws, every one of our failures, every one of our flops, every one of our habits, our hurts, our hang-ups, everything about us, he already knows. And you know what? He still loves us. In this world, too many times we put on these, these false faces around people. We want to we be that chameleon that wherever we are, we fit in. We want to please people. We, want to, we don't want to be the standout. We don't want to be the person that everybody's pointing at. And so we will blend in and we'll put on and we'll put on those, those, that false face. As you've heard me talk about it before, sometimes we come into church and we paint on that big smile. Somebody says, hi, how are you? I'm fine, brother. How about you? Or how about you, sister? How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm getting there. When on the inside, sometimes we're, we're just dying. And we'd love to just be able to say, hey, would you just give me a hug? But we won't do it. Why? Because we're afraid if somebody knew our failures, our faults, our flops, our hang-ups, our habits, they wouldn't love us. But I'm telling you this morning, there's somebody that knows every bit of that. And loves you very, very much. 
And that's who we're celebrating this morning. And so if we look at it, I'm so grateful that God doesn't, that he deals with us in this progression of things. If you look at the very first statement that he made to most people whenever he encountered them, you can put that scripture up there. Uh, the Matthew chapter 4. So one day as Jesus was walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, so he's just taking him a little walk, and he sees two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, same guy. Jesus is the one that changed his name to Peter. And Andrew, his brother, throwing a net. Uh, fact is, let me stop right there and give a little aside. Andrew was the first person that really understood who Jesus was. And what did he do? What was the first thing he did after he found out who Jesus was? He ran and told his brother, you got to come see this guy because he is the Messiah. Now you think about it, if Andrew hadn't invited somebody, if he wasn't that person that went out and told Simon, Simon might have not ever, same difference, Andrew ran back and gave Peter an invitation. That's what we're asking you to do is we're building up to Easter. Got two more weeks. Take one of those. Give it to somebody. You never know. You might be inviting the next Peter. Somebody had to invite Billy Graham who just passed away. God bless his heart. He did a lot for the kingdom. Somebody had to invite him. Somebody had to lead him to Christ. Amen. He wasn't born already knowing Christ. Can you imagine the rewards? Diane, you did know at one time what was the guy's name? We talked about that one time, and I can't remember it saved my life. The guy's name who led Billy Graham to the Lord. And I've thought about that often. Probably not, I mean, evidently not a very famous person. Somebody's look, looking it up on their phone probably right now. You'd be able to tell me before I get through with this. But it's not a name that's just, it not just jumping to our mind, but you know what? All of what Billy Graham did is chalked up credit to him. Amen for leading Billy Graham to the Lord. You never know who we invite, what's going on. Just this week, as I was back and forth and busy all this week, and there was an elderly couple, and they, they came into the church parking lot and had their grandkids, grandkids riding bikes and trikes and all that kind of stuff. And So I had one invitation left. It was the one that I had stuck in my Bible to tell you all about. Be sure and take an invitation. And so I looked out the window, and I saw him coming into the parking lot. I said, man, we're out of those invitations. Oh, but wait, I got one in my Bible. So I went and got my Bible, got it out of there, met them in the parking lot. I hope they're here. Amen. Can't ever tell what that might lead to. But nonetheless, Andrew went and invited his brother. So they were throwing a net into the water. They fished for a living. Hello. They were fishermen. And Jesus said, come follow me. Now, just for a half a second, let's be totally honest here. If you were the son of God, in just a little short while, you were fixing to be, as we say in the South, fixing to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You knew that you were from on high and that you'd be returning back there, that you were the word of God in the flesh. Just for a half a second, let your imagination run wild. What would you do? If you met somebody that wasn't worshiping you, you'd be like, you better get out that boat. 
You better fall down on your knees over here. Worship me because of who I am. Turn or burn. Amen? I'm so glad God deals with us in grace. Amen? And not always about the truth. These guys were sinners. They didn't know God. Far from God. And yet he dealt with them in that grace and that progression of things. So instead of saying, you better get it right, guys. You better turn around here and worship me. You better do something that impresses me. Because I am fixing to be the king of kings and the lord of lords when this whole thing's over. But instead, come follow me and what? I'll show you. The new King James says, I'll make you fishers of men. He knew they were already fishermen, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. So instead of just, you know, like, you better get it right, come and follow. Boy, that's, that's, that's pretty disarming. Follow me. That was his statement to most everybody. If we go on, and they left their nets at once and followed him. Wow, imagine that. They, they knew something was up a little farther. Up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them to come follow me. And immediately they followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. So when Jesus calls us, he doesn't say, you better get this thing right. I mean, you got 10 seconds here. You better get it right. Notice he didn't say, you better believe in me. It was come and follow. And Jesus thinks that if we will follow him for a little while, that it's a natural progression of things, that all of a sudden we are going to begin to see where he is headed with this thing. And what he wants to do in us. you got to start where you are. Why? Because you can't start where you're not. Amen? One of, one of the biggest things that I have seen in, in a pushback from talking to people, and I've talked to a lot of people through the years about coming to Christ, about knowing him, about following him. And one of the biggest pushbacks I ever get is, I'll come to church whenever I get my life straightened out. And that's the proper response, Stephanie. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're going to wait till you get your life straightened out? If you could have straightened it out, you would have already. <laughs> Amen, that's a progression. I'll come to church whenever I get my life straightened out. Amen. It's like you just, you know, it's, it's like that right there. Are you kidding me? You're telling me you're going to get your life straight out and then you're going to come and you're going to present yourself to God. Oh, here I am, God. I've done really, really good for myself. Here's my righteousness, which is what he says, like dirty rags. I mean, it's like you putting on the very best clothes that you've got. Mm. Some of y'all saw me in a suit the last two weeks. That's a rare occasion. 
gray suit that I wore this weekend must have looked pretty good because I had about a half a dozen or more come up and say, you clean up pretty good. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, it's just like us getting our, getting our nicest stuff together and we're going to go before somebody, some dignitary. And whenever we get there, there's food spilled all down the front and our, our, our pants are dirty. There's no way you can get straightened up enough to present yourself to God. And again, that's the truth, but he deals with us in grace. That's an awesome thing. That stereo voice, this is what you need to do. This is where you're wrong. This is where you need to, you need to head to. But I'm dealing with you in grace because I love you. You've got to start where you are because you cannot start where you're not. And so... Sometimes we get that attitude. Well, I'll follow whenever I get everything else straightened out. I know about God. I, I can tell you the story about Jesus, but I'm not ready yet. Amen. <laughs> and there's so many people that are. That's, that's whenever we go out into this world, we're, sometimes we tend to be judgmental about it. But people got to start where they are. Jesus loves them enough to reach them where they are. We ought to be a part of that. And sometimes we hesitate to follow because of all the stuff we've got going on. I just don't know if I'm ready. I just don't know if I can. I just don't want to get, get, you know, get involved in this if I'm not going to follow through. And there's a guy in the Bible like that. Matthew chapter 19. Let me make sure I gave you the right one. Matthew chapter 19. Is that where we're at? Hang on. I might have I written you down the wrong thing, Chad. Now, Matthew 19. Yep, that's it. That's it. For some reason, it didn't look right. Somebody came to Jesus with the teacher. What's the most important thing? Or what good deed must I do to, to have eternal life? And he says, why do you ask me about what's good? And that's because I can sense that you're good, Jesus. There's only one good. That's what Jesus says. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, this is this guy coming and saying, what, what must I do? What must I add to what everything else I've already done to get eternal life? If you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Oh, well, that's easy. Hmm? That's easy. There's only ten of them. Surely I can keep ten Little rules, okay? And he says, which ones? Which of those ten? What's the most important? What's the, really the one that matters the most? And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not test, uh, testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy, I always thought this guy was coming to Jesus with one of these Suspender popping, you know, deal. Pop them suspender. I got this down. I've got this covered. But he was, he was sincere. I've done all those things. And the reason that I've come to that conclusion is because I was in that same boat. I shared with you last week my testimony. Whenever somebody would come talk to me about the Lord, I would say, hey, I go to school with Christians. I work with Christians. 
And when I compare my life to theirs, I'm not any worse than they are. I've never killed anybody. I don't steal. I don't lie. I'm a pretty good person. So this guy was telling the truth here. I honor my mother and my father. I've done, I, I do good stuff. I live righteously. He says, I've done all these commandments. What else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions. Because he knew this guy, like some of us are, was funny about his money. Everybody's got a choking point. Everybody's got something that is their hang-up. And this guy, Jesus already knew it. He's able to tell the thoughts, perceive the hearts of people. And he knew that this guy was funny about his money. And he said, go and sell everything you got. Give the money to the poor. And when you have, and, and, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then, uh-oh, here's that same statement again. Follow me. Do you realize this guy could have been the 13th disciple? He had an open invitation to be the 13th disciple. Judas, we know, failed, betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, went out, according to which, which uh, portion you read, either, either hanged himself or he went running and fell in the street and he busted. But one or the other. And then, do you realize in the, in the first chapter of Acts, the disciples, the 11 of them that were left, decided, hey, we need somebody to fill that spot. So what does it say? They cast lots. And who did it fall on? Matthias. Mm. <laughs> so Matthias was the 12th disciple, the 13th, I guess, you, if you looked at it and in, still including Judas in the number. But do you realize that there was never one time the Lord told him to cast lots? And if you read on, there's nothing that Matthias ever did that's recorded in the Bible. Never another time. So maybe, maybe the Lord was planning ahead. Maybe he knew Judas was going to betray him. And maybe he's setting this up to where he would be the 13th slash 12th disciple. It doesn't give this guy a name. I've always called him Fred. It's just the name that jumped in my mind. I was reading it one day. I was wondering what this guy's name is, Fred. So when the young man, go ahead. When the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had a lot of stuff. Jesus was right. He was funny about his money. And so here's Fred. When given the opportunity to follow... Said, no, I don't think so. Do you realize that our Bible could be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Fred? Amen. It could have been Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Fred. Right there, the, the gospel according to Fred, but he did not do it. Why? Because he didn't want to give his stuff up. He wanted to get everything straightened out first. He wanted to earn his way to heaven instead of just simply saying, Jesus, here I am. What do I need to do? And Jesus tells him one thing to do. 
Get rid of your stuff. Now, how many of you know I'd much rather have what God's got in store for me than have my stuff? Because my stuff don't amount to the hill of beans when you start considering what it is against heaven. Amen. So his whole thing is he works with us in this progression and it is follow. And he thinks that if we will follow him, that the next natural progression of things is that we will begin to believe. Because we're going to be following him and we're going to see all this stuff that he's doing. We're going to see these miracles. We're going to see him, see him feed 5,000 people. That's just counting the men. So roughly you start considering women and children involved in that, in that big miracle. 15,000 people fed with a two-piece fish dinner and three extra hush puppies. What's the, what's the next natural progression after you see somebody feed 15,000 people with a two-piece fish dinner and three extra hush puppies? Ooh, there's something up here. What is the next natural progression of things if we begin to follow and we see lame legs begin to walk? Hmm, something going on here. What's the next natural progression when we begin to see blind eyes open and lives change and things be different than they were before? Ooh, I'm all about this. And he tells us in this natural progression of things, for this is because he loves us, okay? This is a familiar portion of Scripture. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, again, that we talked about in John chapter 1, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, so that everyone who, what? Believes. Wow. I followed him. I began to see what he does. I saw what he did in me. And now I believe. And so what does that gain me? The very thing that Fred was asking us about. What must I do to get eternal life? Follow and believe. Wow. Is it that simple? Yes, it is. It is absolutely that simple. John chapter 14. And this is a long portion of scripture here. But Jesus is talking about this. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I've got it memorized in a different translation than you got on the screen. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know where I'm going. You know the way. And Thomas, as I've said so many times, Thomas voices a concern that we have, and sometimes we're not bold enough to say it. Lord, I don't know what you're talking about, and I'm not 100% sure how to get there. Would you simplify it for me, please? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father except by me. And this is what Jesus goes on and says, and this is what we're going to look at today. If you had really known me, you would know who the Father is. So in other words, if you know Jesus, you know the Father. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Why? Because they're one. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Just just give us a glimpse. And Jesus said, have I been with you all this time, Philip? This hits home. Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you, what is that word? Believe. 
that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and the words that I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just, what's that word? Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least, wait a minute, what? Believe because of the work you have seen me do. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. We're one. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen the stuff that I've done. And if you can't believe that the Father's in me and I'm in the Father, at least believe the works that have been done. Just believe that I am. Okay? Or at least believe the work. So that's what I'm saying. The natural progression of things is you're going to follow. Then you're going to see what he does and you're going to believe. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works. I have done it even greater Wow, it means we're capable of doing something in the kingdom, for the kingdom, in the upbuilding of the kingdom. Because I'm going to be with the Father. What does all that mean? He's, because he's going to the Father, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's residing within you. We talked about it last week. That same Spirit that empowered Jesus to get up out of the grave, to rise from the dead, lives within us. Amen. That should have been more than three amens. It means that that same spirit that rose Jesus up from the dead that was within him lives within us. It means we're capable of doing something for the kingdom. Somebody say amen. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the Holy Spirit. So he tells us that if we'll follow, it's a natural progression that we will then believe. So as we begin to do that, then God says you can't help but believe. Because of the things that you've seen. The next natural progression is that we're going to love him. And as we look at what what he's done, if if we're following him, if we're seeing the works that he's doing, if we're seeing what he does in us, I know what I was. Y'all don't know what I was, but I know. I was there. I was a practicing sinner. And getting pretty good at it. Because I had practiced a lot. Oh, don't, don't get righteous on me and get all quiet. Some of you were practicing too. Some of you were getting pretty good at it like I was. Here's the thing. We were all lost and undone. Here's this guy, Fred, that we talked about in the last one. He had kept all the commandments. And Jesus said, there's still one thing you got to do. Follow. You can live a righteous life, but I wasn't. I was not living a righteous life. And you know what? I was lost and undone. And had I died, I would have split the gates of hell wide open. Scares me to death. I did some stupid, stupid, stupid stuff. There was a guy that, that whenever I was working in the prison as a chaplain, there was a story that, that I came across. And this guy was our chapel clerk. And he, had, uh, he was a sharp guy, smart, could, could do lots of things. He could run a computer and all that kind of stuff. That's, he, had, so he ended up as our chapel clerk. He did all of our paperwork for the chapel, everything, and there was lots of paperwork in the prison system. Pretty sharp guy. 
And I'll never forget, I, I was talking to him one day, and, and for you, one thing you don't do in prison is ask people what they're in there for, and they don't tell people. It's just something you don't do. We're in there working on some stuff one day, and because I guess as a chaplain, you just have that side on your forehead, talk to me. And I had several people tell me their story. And this guy, who at this time, he was probably about maybe 35 years old. When he was in his early 20s, he was a sharp guy, and he started his own business. And was very, very successful. Entrepreneur type, he was just one of those go-getter types, you could tell. And he started his own business. And probably spent a little too much time, as some of us tend to do, become a little bit of a workaholic. And so his wife found other means of entertainment. In other words, she stepped out on him. He divorced, and instead of turning to the Lord, he turned to the bottle. And so he would go and he would work all day and then he would get off from work and he would go to the local bar and he would shut them down and go home and do it all again the next day. And one night he's on his way home and he runs over two teenage girls and kills them both. When he faced the court system, it was an aggravated manslaughter. Aggravated DUI, and in Texas, if you, if you have an aggravated offense, you serve half of your sentence flat. In other words, no good time, you are going to serve half of it day for day for day. He got a sentence of 50 years, which meant that this young guy, by the time it came to trial and everything, he's probably 25, 26, 27 years old. He's going to be 50 before he ever went before a parole board. In his mind, at 25 years old, his life was over. I know some of us think 50 looks pretty good. But for him, at mid-20s, his life was over. And he, he told me about when he came, he said, I, I, he said, I was just crushed. Number one, that wasn't what I was aiming to do. Number two, it was near, I mean, it was just, it was not on his radar that that was going to happen. And he said, I went into the system and, you know, go through what they call reception and they figure out your job qualifications if you've got any because most everybody in the Texas prison system has a job. And they figured out he was good at paperwork and that kind of stuff. That's how he ended up as our chapel clerk. And he said, I'll never forget... He said, I just feel like I am totally alone in this world, forsaken. And he said, I get to the prison where he was at whenever I was serving as a chaplain. And he said, there on my bed was, there's a ministry, and I could name the name, and you probably know who it is, but they do a lot of good things for the prisoners in the system. And he said, there on my bed is a little baggie full of soap and deodorant and a toothbrush and a toothpaste. And he said, I saw that, and I absolutely broke down over a little bar of soap, some toothpaste, a toothbrush, and some soap, some deodorant. I think I said soap twice. And he said, it let me know that somebody cared. 
and that God had not forgotten me because it had a verse in there, scripture verse. And I got through talking to this guy, and I went to the chapel, and I managed to compose myself whenever I was listening to him tell his story. And I went into our chapel, and I shut the door behind me, and I went up to the altar, and I bawled my eyes out. Because there, but for the grace of God, go I. I did some stupid stuff like that. That could have been me. But because of God's grace, it wasn't. And I thought, how many times? Now, I, I can see it from the other side, too. I can see it. If that, was one of, if, if that was my teenage daughter, oh, oh, oh. Mm-mm. 25 years wouldn't be enough. But I looked at it from both sides, and I thought, oh, my goodness gracious, how much do we get judgmental toward people? How often do we jump to a conclusion? Well, they got what they deserved. I've told you, I've said this probably a thousand times since I've been here. I've come to the conclusion through the years, I don't want what I deserve. Because I deserved hell. And Jesus stepped in the way of that bullet and said, no, you don't have to go. If you would just simply follow and believe and then the natural progression of things he thinks is that you're going to love him because of what he's done. In Luke chapter 7 he said this and this is whenever Mary comes and she's you know washed his feet and all this kind of stuff. And he says I tell you her sins and they are many. And oh my goodness my sins were many. Have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. This is whenever she was weeping and, and the part that Lisa has played in the pageant before. And she has shown me much love. Washed his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. But the one who is forgiven much loves much. And so the thing is, Jesus knows that if the natural progression of things is, I'm going to follow. And if I follow, I'm going to see what he's doing. And I'm going to, then the next natural step is, I'm going to believe it. And then I'm going to love him because he has forgiven me. This is, and this is what I got mixed up with. <laughs> this is what I thought you had thrown up there because it's kind of the same question. Teacher, what's the most important commandment of the law of Moses? In other words, somebody's coming to him again. What's the thing that we really, 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 really need to do? Okay? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's talked about in the epistles. You can't say that you love God and go out and hate your neighbor. Because he, he is made in the image of God just like you are. So love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the, all the demands of the prophet are based on these two things. That's what you need to do. Now, I bet the children of Israel in the wilderness would have liked to have that Reader's Digest condensed version. But this much of our Bible right here, this if you'll notice, it's open between the Old and New Testaments. The entire law, go back to that where you were, Chad. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet, all of that right there summed up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. How many of you like that Cliff Notes version? Oh, it's a lot easier than reading all the baguette, baguette, baguettes. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so what he tells us is if we have followed him, if we have believed him, if, if, that the next natural progression is that we're going to love him. And if we know what he's done for us, we will love him. And then fourth, we're going to obey. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. That easy. Old Testament summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment.